Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now executing order 66. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Damon and welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. So unfortunately this week, we had to call an audible, and instead of bringing you our regular scheduled podcast, we've got another edition of ANS Rewind. Uh, this time around, we're going to feature our countdown for the best of 2021 in everything from film, TV, wrestling, and more. So now the reason we're doing a Rewind episode is because this past weekend, Christian attended the ASIN, uh, which is the Anime Central Convention in the Midwest, uh, as press. And he brought home some fantastic pictures of some of the best cosplayers at the convention holding the coveted Amazing Nerd Show title. Uh, and you can check those pictures out at Amazing Nerd Show on social media. But along with those awesome pictures, he also brought home a case of COVID. So uh, luckily, he was fully vaccinated so while he is miserable right now uh he should be okay in the long run uh knock on wood uh get well soon christian uh but since christian is the guy who edits the show i didn't want to make too much work for him this week so i'm just gonna go ahead and share my first impressions of the first two episodes of obi-wan since it did come out early uh which was a huge surprise and a welcome one also i'll just briefly touch upon some of the star wars news that came out of celebrations this thursday and then after that we'll jump directly into our year in review for 2021. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, so to start things off, we did get our first teaser trailer for Andor uh, that was announced to be premiering on Disney Plus August 31st of this year. Soon enough, these days will end. There will be no rules going forward. That's what a reckoning sounds like. So the series was created by Tony Gilroy, the writer of Rogue One, and we'll see Diego Luna reprising his role as Cassian Andor. So I'm not going to do a full breakdown on the teaser because it's just that, a teaser. Uh, but I did want to briefly talk about it because I, I really dug it. Uh, you know, it, it had this really like ominous feel to it. Uh, the Empire Shadow is now cast across the galaxy with them fully in control. There is this looming sense of just hopelessness. Uh, you know, we see a lot of different planets and a lot of different locations. And I'll be completely honest, I haven't had a chance to go back and really identify it all. Uh, but some people are pointing out that some of the locations look very similar to what we saw in the video game Jedi Fallen Order. And they were actually saying the same about some of the music that we heard throughout the trailer. And that might be just people's wishful thinking or a clue of things to come. 
But like I said, it's a pretty quick teaser. Uh, we see a lot of people kind of like scrambling around looking like maybe they're in danger and, you know, getting ready to hide or maybe perhaps like preparing for something. Uh, we do get to see some death troopers and some Imperials, uh, you know, some of them in fancy new looking uniforms. Uh, we also see some clone troopers. And I know this is supposed to take place five years or so before Rogue One, but I don't know. That, that means to me that I would think that at this point, the clone troopers would be completely like decommissioned. So, I don't know, maybe this is from like a flashback sequence, or I'm just wrong. <laughs> My daughter actually, you know, caught the fact that uh, one of the ships that we see in the teaser is actually from Clone Wars, though. Uh, so maybe it is a flashback. Also, we get a few different uh, scenes with Mon Mothma, uh, so it looks like she's going to be playing a big role in the series. Uh, and we also see a scene inside of the Senate. So strap on your seatbelts and get ready for some intergalactic politics. So anyway, I will say uh, everything in this teaser really did hook me, uh, and I think I'm more excited than even before about this series. It looks like it's going to give us the chance to watch the Rebellion form and rise, through the lens of Cassian's story, which I think is a unique approach. Uh, so I'm all in. Uh, but like I said at the top, Andor is set to premiere on Disney Plus August 31st. So also on Thursday at Celebrations, we did get official confirmation that the Ahsoka series will be coming in 2023, along with season three of The Mandalorian, which will premiere in February. Uh, it's a little bit longer of a wait than I was hoping for, but I mean, we were expecting late December, early January anyway. So, I mean, I guess it's only a month. So we'll just have to hold tight. Um, but uh, they did show some footage from season three of The Mandalorian, uh, but they haven't released that yet to the public. Uh, in the teaser, though, they did have, I guess, Bo-Katan and the Armorer. Uh, my guess would be that, you know, Mando's trying to make amends with the Armorer over his digressions. Uh, I could also see, you know, him perhaps throwing down over the Darksaber with Bo-Katan. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Hopefully they release the footage soon. But anyway, moving on, uh, we did get an announcement of a brand new Star Wars Disney Plus series called Skeleton Crew starring Jude Law. Uh, this is the series being produced by Spider-Man's John Watts and of course David Filoni and John Favreau. Uh, the series will be following a group of kids lost trying to find their way throughout the galaxy and it's set to premiere sometime in 2023. I've got to say, um, next year is really shaping up to be a big year for Star Wars with all the different, you know, projects premiering, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Lastly, we did have some non-Star Wars news come out of Celebrations. Uh, we had a trailer for the upcoming Willow series on Disney+, Plus, uh, but we're not going to cover it on the show, so I'm not going to break it down. Uh, and we also got a first-look image of uh, the upcoming Indiana Jones 5. I don't think it actually has a, a title yet. Uh, but uh, we did find out a premiere date, which is going to be June 30th, 2023. The image itself was really nothing too exciting, just kind kind of a silhouette of Indy walking across a bridge, but Harrison Ford was on hand to present it to the audience. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Definitely sounds like Celebrations is the place to be right now. 
Otherwise, that was really it. I was surprised that we didn't get any Bad Batch Season 2 news, uh, but it was only the first day and it's a really long weekend. So if a trailer drops or we get an announcement of a premiere date, uh, we'll make sure to cover it next week, along with any other news that comes out of Celebration. But anyway, let's go ahead and move on and discuss Episode 1 and 2 of Obi-Wan. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series ahead. You have been warned. Look, since I met you, I've been chased, shot at, I almost fell to my death, and now there are inquisiting people after us. If somebody is offering us help, I think we should take it. Now come on. What now? Nothing, you just remind me of someone. So I literally just finished watching the first two episodes of Obi-Wan maybe an hour ago. Uh, so this is going to be pretty raw. Uh, Disney Plus premiered uh, them early to everyone's surprise. And trust me, I'm not complaining because we didn't think we'd be able to talk, uh, you know, the first two episodes until next week. Uh, so I don't know. This is definitely not going to be a breakdown whatsoever because I haven't even had a chance to really digest everything that happened because there's a lot to unpack. Uh, but I'm sure also Christian will share his two cents on next week's episode, so you have that to look forward to. But with that being said, I thought what we got was pretty fucking amazing. Um, I do feel like I enjoyed the first episode a little more than the second one. Uh, I just loved how they really set up Obi-Wan as a man who's you know, broken. Uh, he, he's carrying around a lot of guilt, and he's been through hell, so who can blame him? Uh, I just love that we've never seen this side of Obi-Wan before. I mean, right now, his sole purpose is to look over, you know, Luke, whether Uncle Owen likes it or not. Uh, he's willing to sacrifice everything and everyone for that mission even refusing to help a fellow Jedi, uh, something I thought I would never see. Um, I found it interesting, though, that in that one moment, he's telling the Jedi, uh, you know, on the run to hide and pretty much forget about the Force and, you know, the cause of the Jedi. But then at the same time, he also still seems to want to train Luke. So I'm not sure if this is because he sees Luke as, you know, their last hope. Or if this is for Luke's own protection, just in case dear old dad ever finds out he's still alive. Also, I just found it completely heartbreaking uh, to see how desperate Obi-Wan seems to be for, you know, some kind of guidance. I mean, he truly is alone here and just a real Ronin, like, a you know, a samurai without a master. Um, you know, I mean, after that nightmare sequence, he reaches out to Qui-Gon, who's not there, obviously. Uh, I don't know if, you know, in the past he's actually made contact with Qui-Gon as a Force ghost. We know Yoda was supposed to, like, teach him the ways of doing that, but uh, we have no indication if that ever really did happen especially since they're across the galaxy from each other. I absolutely love the opening sequence uh, and the fact that we keep on getting more moments from Order 66. It's like the gift that just keeps on giving. Uh, and, you know, we're getting to see more of what took place at the Jedi Temple on that fateful day. I mean, it's just pretty fucking awesome. Uh, my guess is, you know, one of those younglings is probably Reva. And, you know, th this might end up explaining why she's so desperately seeking, like, vengeance against Obi-Wan. Like, she blames him for what happened happened knowing that Anakin was his apprentice at one point. I mean, if you think about it, this would really make her like the living embodiment of Obi-Wan's guilt. 
So overall, I did enjoy Riva as a character, although I did feel like she was a little too one-dimensional, especially when it came to her dialogue, but I did love the fact that she was a complete psychopath and, you know, pretty much just rabbit when it came to her thirst for vengeance. I mean, she's just an incredibly driven character. She's not going to let anything get in her way, uh, including other Inquisitors. Uh, speaking of which, uh, that final moment uh, in the second episode definitely caught me off guard. But obviously, if you watch Rebels, you know that the Grand Inquisitor must, you know, be able to heal really fast. Uh, or maybe perhaps this isn't the Grand Inquisitor from the Rebel series. Uh, maybe that's why perhaps he looks different. Who knows? Uh, but I'm going to wait and let it play out and, you know, hold off being outraged just yet. One other thing that I did kind of bump up against when it came to Reva, I don't know how she would exactly know who Vader really is. Um, I thought at this point that that was a secret, but maybe I'm wrong, uh, or maybe they'll eventually explain that. Uh, but the fact that she does know Vader is Anakin makes me think that maybe she's using Obi-Wan to get closer to Vader. Because really, knowing what she knows, if she blames Obi-Wan, how could she possibly not blame Vader? Regardless, I don't think she's going to be making it out of this series alive. We know that Vader has a pension for, you know, slaughtering his Inquisitors. But moving on, I was also very surprised on how much Leia we got. I mean, we definitely knew she was going to be part of this series, uh, you know, if we, you know, trust all the rumors that we were hearing. Uh, but, you know, she was a huge focus on the first, in the first two episodes. Uh, you know, I, I thought she was casted really well, and I thought they did a great job of really capturing the spirit of the character. Uh, she had some very touchy moments throughout both episodes. I mean, yes, she's a little annoying during that whole chase sequence, but, I mean, that's how a 10-year-old would probably react to that situation, so it didn't bother me too much. Uh, you know, speaking of the chase scene, uh, initially, I was into it. Uh, it felt very John Wick having the entire, like, city looking for Obi-Wan and Leia. But, man, just way too much parkour for my taste. I mean, do you really need to do that many flips to get over to the next building? I I thought you had the ability to use the force. I don't know. Uh, it just got to the point where it felt like overindulgent and silly. Like, sh you know, Reva was showing off uh, for who? I don't know. But on the other hand, when it came to the action, I really did enjoy Obi-Wan's fighting style when it came to like hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, I liked how like defensive it was in nature. I thought it just made perfect sense for a Jedi. And while I wasn't the biggest fan of the chase sequence, uh, I will say I feel like the best moment of episode two did come during this sequence uh, when, you know, Obi-Wan did finally choose to reconnect to the Force to save Leia. The fact that in this moment, a wave of pain seems to kind of wash over him tells me that staying disconnected from the Force wasn't just about staying hidden from, you know, the Empire. And I know that I said the second episode was my least favorite of the two, uh, but you take this moment and you add it with the moment of Obi-Wan realizing that Anakin is still alive and then seeing Hayden Christensen in the tank as Darth Vader, awakening, feeling Obi-Wan's presence. I mean, goddamn, that, that's got to be up there with like the holy shit moments of the year so far. So my hat's definitely off. 
But anyway, that was just my initial impression of the first two episodes. I thought this was a fantastic way to start off the series. And my guess is when I rewatch these episodes over the weekend, I'll probably find a few more things I want to bring up uh, next week when Christian comes back and, you know, we'll do a full breakdown of episode three. So make sure to join us. Uh, but also let's hear from you guys. Reach out to us at Amazing Nerd Show on social media and tell us how you're feeling about the series so far. We want to hear from you. Uh, but without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our ANS Rewind as we flash back to our year in review from 2021. The Amazing Nerd Show presents a look back at 2021. All right, Christian, so before we get into our year in review countdowns, let's do our traditional best moments and worst moments of the year in nerd culture. I mean, this year's definitely been all over the place. Do you have anything that, like, mm -hmm. just jumps out to you as, like, a best moment of 2021? Honestly, it's got to be all the Disney Plus content, Damon. As in, like, the Marvel shows or? Well, yes. Yes, the Marvel and Star okay. Wars shows that we got from this gotcha. year. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of other things on Disney+. Plus. I mean, what about uh, Rhea and the Last Dragon? That was pretty awesome, right? Oh, yeah. That was a great movie. That was absolutely amazing animation in that yeah, thing. Yeah, so, I mean, whatever. It's not, it's not just all about Marvel and Star Wars. I mean, it is on this uh -huh. show, but... <laughs> <laughs> no no i agree 100 percent. like marvel especially like all the content that we got you know from the mcu it's just been solid i mean yeah they're not flawless but they haven't like fallen on their faces yet with any of their shows mm -hmm. so i mean i gotta give them a lot of credit because they put out a lot of fucking shows this year too what we got like five just about yeah, yeah right um but yeah no pretty fucking crazy uh and there's tons more coming down the line so uh, that's definitely something to look forward to in uh, 2021. Uh, you know, for me, was uh, theaters opening up again? Kind of, right? Ah, yes. Because mm. <laughs> 2020 was a long, dark year. I mean, it was probably the longest period of time I've ever gone without going to, like, a movie theater and seeing a film. Mm. So uh, just, you know, being back, you know, in the theater, you know, with the you know, smell of stale popcorn in the air and you know, the warm glow of the screen. I mean, that has to be on my, you know, best of 2021, uh, even though it's been kind of a rough year at the box office. So, uh, but also on that note, I've been kind of enjoying the uh, day and date releases that, you know, HBO and Disney <laughs> Plus have been doing. Uh -huh. I won't lie, because I mean, there are a few like lesser movies that I wouldn't necessarily go see like, you know, first weekend that I, like, caught right away. So that was nice, that convenience. Uh, I just hope that it's not well, killing, like, the movie industry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's just, like, I wouldn't have had time to make it to go see The Matrix. Like, the fact that I was able to watch that from home really made yeah, the well, difference. Yeah, well, especially because it opened up right before Christmas. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. So there is a convenience, you know, to that. But um, it seems like that is going to be going away somewhat in 2022 uh but they do mm. have a shorter release uh window now with like uh warner brothers so it, it sounds like their films will be in the theaters for about like 25 days and then they'll be hitting like hbo max uh, you know gotcha. at least some of their films so um hopefully that doesn't really hurt them though um you know box office wise because i definitely feel like you know that release strategy did hurt a lot this year for them so because if you look at it overall it really felt like the smaller films were suffering a lot this year you know people were willing to take that risk and going to the theaters for like the bigger blockbusters like spider-man mm -hmm. but then a movie like west side story like no one basically showed up for 
So yeah, <laughs> which uh, according to my wife was fantastic. So that's too bad. I'm still supposed to see that at some point, and I, I don't know. You're gonna be snapping <laughs> down the aisles. I can see it now. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this year I did get a chance to play more games than ever before, and one of those was uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I'm not going to count it as one of my you know, top five games just because it's a remake of the same thing. It's just up upgraded graphics. But man, was you know getting to actually play that for the first time a huge experience for me. You know, I've only ever seen people play. It was something I was only able to like watch when I was younger. So this was you know a great time, and I hope everyone got a great time watching it on the Twitch channel. Plug, plug, plug. Exactly. <laughs> What's your Twitch handle, Christian? Quickly. It's uh, uh, amazing nerd show, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, huh? <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> hope you're not killing the brand over there. Well, I hope not too. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll talk more of our favorites, you know, throughout the show during our countdowns. But, I mean, we don't like to usually focus on the negative, you know, during our year in review. Uh, but let's go ahead and just talk about, you know, some things that stuck out to us as, like, the worst of 2021. I mean, there is something that's been griping me and that's starting to form into 2022 as an even bigger thing at this point. All right, Christian, so I'm on the edge of my seat. Uh, what would that be? Um, NFTs, Damon. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they are plaguing everything. I still don't even understand what those are. It's you just own a digital code that says that you own this specific item on the Internet. Uh, I mean, listen, I'm a huge nerd who collects some stupid shit. OK, <laughs> uh-huh. but like the whole NFT thing to me just feels like a huge scam. Like you're not uh -huh. really owning anything like here, buy this jar of air from me. Like, you know, I like I don't I don't get it. Like I'm having a hard time like processing <laughs> what it actually means. So like and I don't expect you to explain it all to me because I've read multiple articles at this point. Uh -huh. But it's like here you own this digital image is pretty much it. I mean, yeah, you own the code behind the image that makes it, you know, its own one-of-a-kind thing because the image itself yeah it's all over the place but this is the specific one that we've attached a chain code to that you own now specifically and no one else can own that dude that just sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me you know like that's <laughs> like you're trying to sell me some swampland you know like you know down south or something like that just uh -huh. i mean i don't i don't i still don't get it christian like so like other people could see this image right Yes. So what the fuck's the benefit of owning it? You're the only one that owns it. It's 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 perception. It's perception of ownership. Think of it that way. You know, it's you know, is if people value something and they feel like they own it, then it's worth more. I, I, that's that's what I get from it. Can but they actually monetize this like this ownership? They can sell that ownership to someone if they want. Yeah. I think Kevin Smith actually sold a horror film that he'd made as an nft and then it gave the person who like bought the nft like distribution rights like they actually own the film obviously they paid like a crazy price for this but mm -hmm. then you know they get a fully profit off the movie then see that's interesting because there's reports right now about you know game studios interested in selling games as a whole 
as NFTs. And I'm like, well, how does that work? Like, does like could it work like how this film is? Could they sell their this video game from themselves like by themselves? Yeah. Do they have rights then? I don't know how that I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> At that Cause level. I mean that makes more sense, you know, what Kevin Smith did with his film. Because uh, like, yeah, like monetizing it somehow makes sense to me where you now hold like, you know, distribution rights, you know, to you know, whatever you purchased. But like, like, you know, purchasing a film makes more sense to me. That's a much more profitable investment than like, you know, owning like some holographic image of like John Cena doing the five knuckle shuffle. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what the hell are you going to do with that? Uh -huh. <laughs> right? I mean, that's not to say, listeners, if you want NFTs from the Amazing <laughs> Nerd Show, just let us know. I'll send you some holographic oh, images of it. us, I'll, I guess. I'll sell this whole fucking podcast for cheap. Like, <laughs> just DM us. <laughs> Fuck, I'll throw in Christian. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got that out of your system. Um, for me, something that has to make my like worst of 2021 list has to be kind of like some of the bigger horror franchises just dropping the ball. I mean, we had a lot of big name horror series make their way back to the theaters this year. Uh, like, you know, The Conjurings, The Saws, uh, Paranormal Activity, uh, Halloween, for crying out loud. And they all mm -hmm. just kind of, I don't know, it, it really felt like they dropped the ball, honestly. And they all kind of just like, didn't bring anything new or fresh, you know, to their franchises. Um, it really felt like the movies were just all about, you know, producing IP and like a quick like cash grab, unfortunately. Because I do remember in the beginning of, you know, 2021 being really excited for what was in store for the horror genre. But I mean, it, it was still a good year, don't get me wrong. But like the awesome films that we got weren't from these established franchises, you know, and there's just so many of them that, you know, made this big comeback. And I don't know, they just fell flat on their face. No, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I'm still I still can't get over the amount of times that Michael Myers should have been killed in that <laughs> Halloween film. So many openings. That's definitely <laughs> one of the more disappointing films of the year for me. So. Uh -huh. And somehow I still have hope for Halloween ends, though. You know, that's how huge <laughs> of a Halloween fan I am, though, that I'm still like kind of excited to see where they take the franchise, you know, at the end of that movie. So, but, you know, I'm an it, idiot. Coming from the guy that didn't like the first one and now the second <laughs> one, I, I don't know. It's. <laughs> but hey, I don't care what anyone says. Halloween 2018 was 10 times better than Halloween Kills. You know, because no, I was agreed. definitely disappointed with that film. But if I had any idea what was in store for us with Halloween Kills, I think I wouldn't have taken that movie so, you know, for granted, honestly. So. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, you know, indie horror is just thriving. I think that has a lot to do with like all the different like streaming platforms now that they don't have to worry about like theatrical like distribution anymore mm -hmm. um, because there's so many especially yes, now. there's so many like high quality films being released on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. It's just more about like having to find them. So, uh, but yeah, no, horror is definitely thriving, you know, regardless of the big names, you know, laying an egg. There was also that fact that, you know, I had to see another Venom film for the show, <laughs> which, you know, shows my dedication to the show, obviously. Yeah, you, def you definitely <laughs> took one for the team there, because I still haven't seen that movie, and I don't plan on it oh, at this point. So There you go, guys. If you want Damon to watch Venom on our Patreon, <laughs> send us that <laughs> message right now. You know right what? Now. I would be willing to do, like, a commentary for 
for Venom too uh -huh. if they want. So you know, just DM <laughs> us. You know, if, if you're gonna fucking pay me, I'll sit through the goddamn film. <laughs> I mean, you just have to listen to me bitch about it the entire time. But you know, uh -huh. that might be worth the, the price of admission. But speaking of Sony films, I think something that has to make my worst of 2021 list is all the fucking leaks. I mean, it's safe to say that we love Spider-Man No Way Home, but my God, not to get into spoilers, but that whole film was like the worst kept secret in years from Marvel. And I feel like it might be more of a Sony problem or maybe I'm just laying blame on them. <laughs> but if you think about it in years past with films like, you know, Infinity War and, you know, Endgame, I mean, huge films, or even like, you know, the Star Wars franchise. Like, we would get a trailer that consisted of, like, maybe, like, the first 10 minutes of the movie. And they would really not, like, mm -hmm. show us shit. And then we would go into the films completely surprised by, you know, what we got story-wise. Um, but that felt like it all went away this year. Like, so many different rumors. And I mean, because of the nature of the show, we're definitely part of the problem, I guess, because we discuss, you know, these rumors. But we do try to filter a lot of them out. Uh, but, uh. I mean, a lot of, like, these rumors that would come out almost daily ended up being true. Where I feel like in years past, like, we would go into movies practically blind when it came to, like, you know, Disney, you know, properties. Uh but that just doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And I don't know if it's because it was a joint venture, you know, between, you know, Sony and Marvel. So, like, maybe Sony doesn't, you know, run as tight of a ship as Kevin Foggy does. But, I mean, it just feels like it's happening more often than ever. And it's unfortunate because think about, like, going into Spider-Man No Way Home and not knowing any of the big, like, you know, plot points. And I mean, your jaw would be on the ground for, you know, three hours, you know, I mean, <laughs> and I mean, I, I still obviously love the film and I know you love the film, too. But but I feel uh -huh. like part of that experience was kind of robbed, you know, from us because of all the leaks, um, you know, which is just unfortunate. Now, I mean, we'll still report like some of the bigger rumors. Don't get me wrong, because I mean, that's what the show does. <laughs> but I mean, you have to listen to your own discretion. But yeah, you know, and we've always reported rumors in the past. It's just like we knew to take a lot of them with a grain of salt. Where nowadays, I feel like we have to put like spoiler warnings in front of them because exactly 90% like, <laughs> of them end up being true. Do you feel like in this, I, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but do you feel like it was Sony trying to get the information out? Because we had heard rumors that they wanted to show off all the Spider-Men. Yeah. Originally in the yeah, trailers. Yeah, Kevin Foggy kind of put the brakes on that. Um Absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, I, I, you know, not to shit on Sony, but I mean, they definitely seem like they have a different idea of how to market their films. Mm -hmm. You know, where Foggy and, you know, Star Wars, like, they know part of creating a buzz is like giving fans like the bare minimal um, because it just allows for everyone to go crazy with speculation. Uh, we even joked, I think, last year that it's going to get to the point where Marvel just releases a title card, you know, for an upcoming uh -huh. film with the date, and that's it. <laughs> like, that's the trailer. <laughs> so, like, I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually get a film where there's, like, literally no trailers. You just have to go in there. You're blind, you know, with no clue 
like with what you're about to watch. Um, and I, I'm all for that, honestly. Like, I would love mm, that. It would be a great marketing like idea for Secret Wars. Just don't show anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it would sell me like the name alone sells me on the film. So I don't need mm -hmm. a bunch of trailers. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for the show and the fact that we, you know, part of the show is speculate on what's going to happen. Uh, you know, and breaking down these trailers, which is fun, and it, it makes good conversation. I mean, back in the day, I would watch maybe one trailer tops, and that's it. And I would avoid everything else, you know, because, I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of times with, uh, you know, the bigger films especially, you get so many fucking trailers that you see the entire movie before you, you know, buy a ticket. I mean, part of the thrill for me is, you know, the anticipation and, like, being able to shoot the shit and speculate with your friends, like, what's going to happen in you know in the next chapter of your you know favorite you know franchise i mean don't get me wrong like rumors are fun but <laughs> i just i've never seen a year where so many of them were true so i mean maybe that's why you know it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth although i will say um you know a show that we're covering right now uh book of boba fett they've done actually a really good job of not giving us much you know, when it comes to like, you know, trailers and spoilers, really that whole trailer that we got before the series premiered was just, you know, footage from that first episode. And now we're completely blind. Like we didn't see shit. But anyway, that's the end of my rant. Christian, do you have anything else on your best or worst list? Not the moment. I mean, breakout performance was definitely Florence Pugh as Yelena. But beyond that, <laughs> no, I agree 100 um, percent. There are a lot of great performances this year. And we'll talk about that during our yes. countdowns. And we'll talk about some of the best and worst uh, in the wonderful world of wrestling at the end of the show, as always. So, Well, one more thing before we move on. We decided to push the breakdown of this week's episode of Book of Boba to next week, as this week's episode is already jam-packed to the brim with all of our year in review. Yeah, so what that means is next podcast, we're going to just go ahead and double up on Book of Boba and discuss episode two and three. Because I don't know about next week, but I mean, this week, a lot of cool shit went down. And we both agree that Book of Boba as a show counts for 2022, correct? Yeah, I mean, the majority of it is going to be aired in 2022, so I okay, figure, yeah, you know. Yeah, we can't judge it off of one episode for the year, so. No. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on to our year in review. Warning minor spoilers for the year of 2021 ahead in TV series, horror films, video games, and films. You have been warned. Now entering the amazing nerd show's year in review. So before we get started, quick disclaimer. This list is composed of our favorites of the year. We definitely haven't seen everything because we're human. So your favorites might be different than ours. And that's totally cool. We would love to see your list though. So feel free to post them in the comments at Amazing Nerd Show pretty much anywhere on social media or even DM us. Because who knows, we might actually review them on the podcast. Uh, but without further ado, let's go ahead and get this show on the road. 2021's best of TV. So even without big staples like Stranger Things, The Boys, and The Mandalorian, 2021 was a jam-packed year when it came to great content on the small screen. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, a lot of series did outshine what Hollywood was offering in the theaters. Really, just once again demonstrating, it's difficult to compete with TV as a medium when it comes to long-form storytelling in this new era of streaming services and binge-watching. So, without further delay, let's count down our top five favorite TV shows of 2021. 
before we get started, I've got some quick honorable mentions. Uh, the first one is Chucky. Uh, Don Mancini breathed new life into his beloved creation with the Chucky series this year by honoring the franchise's past but also setting a course for its future. I also wanted to give a nod to The Bad Batch. The Bad Batch was the only new Star Wars we got all year, and while it didn't necessarily stick its landing when it came to the finale, it did scratch enough of that space opera itch by answering some questions about an era of the franchise we've never witnessed before and left you really wanting more. And lastly, a nod to Marvel's What If. The show gave us the MCU untethered from continuity, as this beautifully animated series explored the multiverse and gave us stories about our iconic heroes beyond anything we ever imagined. Now for Damon's top shows. Number 5 Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Symbols are nothing without the women and men that give them meaning. We need someone to inspire us again. This series was the action-packed journey of Sam finally accepting the mantle of Captain America. As we watched Sam wrestle with this decision, we realized it was more complicated than what the end of Endgame led us to believe. Like in the comics, it dared to tackle a lot of different themes that I wasn't quite sure we ever see on the screen from Marvel. While the pacing at times was a little uneven, it really is the blueprint of what I want to see from these Disney Plus Marvel shows. I mean, a series like this allows them to give us deeper stories and layers to characters who just haven't had enough screen time yet, but damn it, deserve it. Number four, Hawkeye. It's almost Christmas. I can't go home until I fix this. Should we be worried? I'll be home for Christmas. I promise. Uh. So much of what I said about Falcon and the Winter Soldier goes for Hawkeye. We finally, after a decade of screen time, got to know Clint Barton and what makes him tick. The action was top notch, light and breezy, fun trick arrows and all, as we really got to witness how much of a badass Hawkeye actually is. And to top things off, we got the introduction of Kate Bishop and Echo into the MCU, and they did a great job of capturing the spirit of those characters from the pages of the comics. And oh yeah, did I forget to mention fucking Kingpin showed up? I mean, what else could you possibly want from a series? Number three, Midnight Mass. We are living in a miraculous time. I mean, what's a little crazy between friends, right? So Mike Flanagan has apparently graduated from the Stephen King University with honors and can now channel the great author and create his very own Stephen King series without King himself having to write a single freaking word. I mean, while watching the show, I kept on doing a deep dive on Google because I was so sure the series had to be based on a short story or a novel or a poem by King. But that wasn't the case. Midnight Mass is a slow burn mystery that engrosses you with its bleakness. It takes place in a small isolated town that so desperately wants to believe something special is happening that it turns a blind eye to the incoming storm. Filled with religious allegory that examines how misguided one can become if not careful by their own fate. 
And while the pacing won't be for everyone, Flanagan lets you get to know his great ensemble cast. So when the horror does go absolutely biblical, you are more than just invested. Midnight Mass yet again proves why Flanagan is a true master of the horror genre. Number 2, WandaVision. Oh, this is gonna be a gas! Where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? Our story. I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from... Moved from where? Married when? Damn it, why? Oh, Arthur, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. WandaVision was a breath of fresh air for the MCU. Unlike anything we've gotten before from the Mega Power franchise, it was definitely a risk that paid off and hopefully will lead to more daring storytelling in the future. This strange, quirky mystery that had everyone dissecting every scene weekly, trying to uncover the latest Easter egg and the secret of Westview, was really a story about grief. Wanda is a tragic character and at this point has gone through so much in such little time, it's not surprising she breaks down. But with that being said, that's what makes it so uplifting to watch her overcome it all and find her fully realized self at the end. Although, on the flip side, and what makes this series so intriguing, is we could have just witnessed the origin story of the MCU's next big villain. And really, only time will tell. Number 1. Squid Game So this Korean horror drama took over the nation at one point this year, and rightfully so. While at first glance, it would lead you to believe that Squid Game's appeal was all about the can't-look-away nature of Blood and Guts horror. And don't get me wrong, that's definitely part of the hook. But when you get deeper into the storytelling, you quickly find that the true horror and what makes this series great is much more on a psychological level. I mean, just thick with social commentary that resonates across nations and different cultures, the Squid Game at its core is a morality tale for the ages, and that's why it's my favorite series of 2021. Now for Christian's top TV shows. Number 5, Jujutsu Kaisen. Anime is something I cover from time to time on the show, as I am an avid watcher, so when making my list for this year, I knew there was no way some anime wouldn't make it onto my list. And as far as shows that debuted this past year, Jujutsu Kaisen absolutely knocked it out of the park. From its animation to characters and story, this show felt like the beginning of the next big thing in anime, especially as far as shonens go. With the end of Attack on Titan here now and my love for my hero kind of waning a bit in its newer seasons, this show was the hit I really needed. You know, another map of production that blends dark tones with absolutely fun and lighthearted characters you can easily fall in love with. This is one I highly recommend for all anime fans to give a try. But let's be honest, you probably already have. Number 4 Squid Game Squid Game took the internet by storm, and at first I thought it was just going to be one of those like fad shows, you know, made popular because of one crazy scene or another, but I was pleasantly surprised by what we got in this like emotionally driven horror tale all about class and society. Squid Game has a similar hook to franchises like Saw, where you the viewer will often put yourself in, you know, the character's shoes, and you'll really ask, 
how would I survive in this kind of scenario? With plenty of great horrifying moments, the show will have you binging it from start to finish. But in the end, it wasn't the violence I found myself enjoying the most. It was the stellar performances and character building that absolutely made me fall in love with it. It makes the show a must watch for my top five. Number three, Loki. We protect the proper flow of time. Picked up the Tesseract, breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. Oh boy, I had so many questions going into Loki and I was not prepared for just how big and important the show was going to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But man, was I blown away by the journey of our once big bad Loki. The introduction of the multiverse alone makes this show so significant in the long run. But as a show on its own, Loki took a deep dive into the psyche and heart of the character. While there are some rushed story beats due to the scale of the show, the performances we got from Hiddleston and crew make this must-see TV. It was like watching a five-hour movie split into parts as Disney spared no expense in the making of their Disney Plus content. If you didn't love the character before, you surely will now with the Loki series. Number 2. Invincible after school. May we count on you in the future? Yeah, I think so. And bored of this. Goddamn was Invincible fun to watch. While obviously Invincible may not be as raunchy as shows like The Boys, it will still gut punch you with hardcore action followed by depressing consequences. J.K. Simmons playing Omni-Man is an absolutely thrilling performance on top of the compelling story of our main character Mark Grayson as played by Steve Yoon. The entire tale just builds upon itself each episode driving you to want more and more as you wonder how these characters are going to react to the truth of the mystery that they're trying to solve. All the while you get this you know superhero coming of age story chocked filled with the harsh realities of what it means to be a hero this show was brilliantly written and something you have to see for yourself number one wandavision thanks for the lesson but i don't need you to tell me who To this day, I am still not over WandaVision. I was interested in seeing Marvel do something completely out of the box, and this show delivered in ways I never expected. We were all hooked and speculating from episode one as we saw the world Wanda built tear itself apart as she tried to hang on to her loved ones in the only way her powers could allow. It's breathtaking writing that was you know, so well performed by Elizabeth Olsen that easily puts WandaVision at the front of my list. Disney Plus alone did the impossible and made me more excited for the future of Marvel, especially if they are willing to tell stories in more unique ways such as this. So once again this year, I wanted to shine a little spotlight on my favorite genre and do my own personal top horror film list of 2021. It's been another hell of the year for horror, with not only the return of some classic franchises like Halloween, Candyman, Saw, and The Conjuring to name a few, but also the continued rise of the independent scene with the insurgence of new talented creators injecting fresh ideas and new perspectives into the genre we all love. So with that being said, here's my top five horror films of 2021. 
and now Damon's top horror films of 2021. So quickly, just a couple honorable mentions before we get started. Uh, first up, PG Psycho Gorman, a film that's like trauma meets the Power Rangers, as insane as that sounds. It's just this joyous throwback to the rubber suit mayhem of yesteryear. Next honorable mention goes to Antlers, a film that I think was really a victim of the pandemic since it was only in theaters for the a blink of an eye. Uh, this somber slow burn creature feature uses the legend of the Wendigo as a metaphor for how we treat and view victims of trauma in our society. Uh, it's not only a heartbreaking tale, but it also has one of the best looking monsters captured on screen recently. So definitely check that out. Uh, and last but not least for honorable mentions, uh, Candyman. Just a beautifully crafted film that takes the themes of the original and dares to dive deeper. Uh, honestly, the only reason why it doesn't make my top five list is it just kind of falls short of providing the same level of scares as the legendary classic did. Number five, A Quiet Place Part Two. I don't know why he came all the way up here. There's nothing left. So the first 20 minutes of this film is more than worth the price of admission. Uh, seeing the fateful day that changed the world forever with the arrival of the weird eardrum creatures is just fucking terrifying. And really just another reason to continue to root for the Abbott family as we watch the next chapter of their story unfold. Uh, John Krasinski gives us one of the stronger sequels in genre history that comes close to rivaling the originality and creativeness of the first film. Number four, no, Malignant. But I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders. As they're happening. Hello? So James Wan shows off just how much pull he has as a creator in Hollywood here, uh, as he delivers us one of the most over-the-top outlandish mainstream studio horror films in recent history. Uh, hidden in a smart marketing campaign that never tips its hand, audiences weren't prepared for what awaited them. There's no doubt in my mind that Malignant will soon be a cult classic, so I'm refusing to spoil anything about it. But I will say this, this film's action sequences surpass anything that we saw in Snake Eyes or Mortal Kombat this year. So action directors definitely need to take note and up their game. Do yourself a favor and check out Malignant if you haven't already. Number three, Fear Street Trilogy. The devil has come to feast on our misdeeds. If they want a witch. Witches, witches! I will curse this tongue. Forever. So I'm gonna cheat a little here, but what are you gonna do about it? Uh, it's hard to separate these films from each other since there are only like weeks in between each one of their premieres. But with that being said, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. And that's what this Netflix trilogy was selling, and I'll be damned if I didn't get hooked. Uh, the first entry was a little rocky as it seemed to be too hyper-focused on capturing the vibe of the 90s. But after that, director Lee Yanyak really hit her 
your stride, not only by encapsulating the feel of some classic horror subgenres throughout the decades, but she also did it with a compelling modern story that actually had something to say and a group of characters that you quickly fall in love with. Lee Yanyak is definitely a director to keep an eye on in the future, especially if she chooses to make the horror genre her home. Number 2. The Vigil There's something evil in this house. We have to go now. It won't let you leave. What won't let me leave? If you run out, the magic will make you crawl right back. Director Keith Thomas gives us a beautifully executed supernatural tale about a man struggling with his fate. Our main character begrudgingly accepts a job to sit vigil, which is the Jewish tradition of watching over a body until burial. What ensues is an atmospheric claustrophobic nightmare that takes place over one night in one location as we watch a man not only battle a demon for the soul of the deceased, but also for his own. The Vigil is the theater of the mind at its best, and that's why it's number two on my list. Number one, The Night House. The harmless phantoms on their errands glide With feet that make no sound upon the floors We meet them at the doorway On the stair Along the passages they come and go Impalpable impressions on the air A sense of something moving To and fro David Bruckner's The Night House is a dark mystery wrapped around a story about how all-consuming grief and mental illness can be. Bruckner expertly builds tension throughout the film with the use of simple things like shadow and sounds. This minimalist approach to horror grips you and doesn't let go throughout the entire film. It's not only about what you see, it's more about putting you in the room with Rebecca Hall's character as she fights for her sanity. Speaking of which, Rebecca Hall is a tour de force in this film and delivers one of my favorite performances of the year by far. So the ending of the film will be divisive for some, but I thought it was absolutely brilliant, even though it kind of hovers over you like a dark cloud afterwards. But that's what a film that truly resonates should do. And that's why I have to choose The Night House as my favorite horror film of 2021. Definitely go check it out. And now it's time for Christian's top five games of 2021. This past year in gaming has been absolutely fantastic for me. As I said earlier on in the show, I've played more games this year than ever before. And I'm super excited to finally count down what my top five are. So let's get right on into it. Number five, Forza Horizon 5. So to be honest, I had really been needing something a little different in my gaming catalog the past few months. And while sports games tend to be something I only dabble in a little bit, no racing game out there quite hits like Forza Horizon these days. 
With the latest installment, we head on down to Mexico and burn rubber through fun challenges and races. While there still could be some tweaks to the AI in the game, I found myself enjoying the Simcade style racer even more than Forza Horizon 4. With the continuation of Forza's stunning graphics and solid gameplay, it's definitely a game to check out, especially if you're looking to get into the racing game scene. Number 4. Halo Infinite. The Banished are planning to fire this ring. We need help. Not heroics. We protect humanity, whatever the cost. But this wasn't the mission. The missions change. They always do. Halo Infinite, though it just came out and I haven't even finished the campaign yet, has already given me several days of enjoyment in its multiplayer alone. It was a franchise I was dying to get back into, and I feel like 343 really killed the classic Halo feel with this year's title, while also giving us, you know, a unique experience in the campaign. The only thing it's really missing right now is co-op, but at the same time, I'm really enjoying the innovations that have been brought to this game, the grappling hook and different aspects in the actual open world, and the multiplayer itself just brings me so much nostalgia so it's easy to say why Halo would make my top five for this year number three Resident Evil Village there is no safe every sorry bastard out there has been ripped in half tomorrow we're all be dead no let me go Chris what the hell why Ethan Winters Ethan Winters Mr. Winters Ethan Winters Ethan for Ethan. Ethan Winters. Welcome. Looking back, Village was probably my most anticipated game of the year. Having been a big fan of Resident Evil 7's return to horrific form, and while 8 isn't nearly as scary as 7, it was still an incredibly fun experience with extremely rememberable characters and performances. This version of Resident Evil is something I could see living on in comparison to those games like Resident Evil 5 and 6. On top of that, Resident Evil 8 just kept on giving with addicting modes like Mercenary Mode after beating the main campaign. And with DLC in the future, I'm definitely going to be replaying Resident Evil sometime this year. Number 2. Death Loop. Everybody chose to be here, Colt. Blood on the mind, life on ice, call it paradise. Nobody's gonna thank you for destroying paradise. Looking for a sign on the mind, on a then it's on me to end it for all of us. So here's where things get tricky. I feel like my top two picks may be a little bit more controversial because the only reason I think Deathloop sits at number two for me at least, is because it broke on my PC and I still haven't been able to fix it so I can finally finish it. But beyond that, the game is still one of a fucking kind. It really takes all the best work Arcane Studios has to offer by making this like super stylistic return from death game that I just didn't want to put down. And if I have to completely restart my game, I will in the end because I feel like Deathloop is a game worth playing. After all, it is really this high up on my list for a reason. The gameplay is extremely addicting and I'm excited to see if there's a chance for more after this game is done. Number 1. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Five thousand units to the Hellraiser who kills these so-called Guardians of the Galaxy. We got this. Guys, huddle up! We'll win this together. Hit the music! 
So number one on my list is Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, I stated that the level design is a bit repetitive, but man, is there just so much heart put into the story of this game. So much so that I can look past a lot of, you know, little gameplay decisions that they made as I still had a ton of fun leading the Guardians to victory and figuring out, you know, the best combinations of team moves for every scenario. You know, Peter Quill's journey was fantastic and in an absolute step up from Marvel's Avengers in every single way. What a great turnaround for Square Enix, by the way. And I wanna see several sequels to follow up on this game. I mean, seriously, give me a trilogy. I would be extremely down for more of this story. But just like that, that does my top five games of this year. If you're interested in watching me play any of these games, you can check me out on Twitch, baby. The Amazing Nerd Show goes live every Thursday through Sunday with stuff like our own wrestling universe, tons of role-playing games, tons of first-person shooters. I'm definitely more of a single-player kind of guy. So if that's your thing, definitely check us out on Twitch. And consider helping support the show by subscribing, maybe using your Amazon Prime account for free, as that will help me continue to build that show up and be able to play even more games just for you guys. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Summer is coming, the sun is shining, shirts are off, and your balls are smooth. You heard that right, your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your beach balls are as smooth as Floridian sand. In the summer, you want to kill some cold beers and barbecues, not kill the vibe with pubes peeking out of your swim trunks. That's why Manscaped has their Performance Package 4.0 to keep the part of your pants looking crisp and refreshing all summer long. Dive headfirst into summer by joining the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow. It's summertime, gents, and if you're trying to get lucky during convention season, make sure your Ewoks are high and tight. Maybe someone will want to touch your yubby. That's right, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Prepper Viber Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. Their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. And did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? From the shower to the lake, from your chest scruff all the way down to your ball throw, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer around. Once your downstairs weeds are taken care of, look after the rest with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Before heading outside, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat. With a soothing aloe vera formula, it's the best in the business for below the waist freshness. This clear drying formula will keep you in tip top shape even at the hottest barbecue or the longest convention line. And Manscaped's even throwing in two free gifts with their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag that will bring your comfort to another level. Want to take your grooming game even further? Take a look at Manscaped Shears 2.0, a package that has everything you need to look pristine. Nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. With the performance package, your balls will be ready to impress, but make sure you cover the rest with the Shears 2.0 and you'll be 
ready to perform from head to toe. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. This is the summer to turn your package into the full package with Manscaped. And now the top films of 2021. Well, the cinema definitely had another roller coaster year, with theaters slowly opening up again with the hopes of things getting back to normal, but nothing unfortunately could be further from the case, judging from the box office. Moviegoers' taste in films over the course of the pandemic seemed to be as fickle as ever, and with some of the studios using the day and date release strategy, who could blame them? But just because studios didn't rack in the normal bundles of cash this year, doesn't mean there weren't some fantastic films released to discuss. So let's go ahead and jump into our top five films of 2021. And now, our feature presentation. Damon's top five films of 2021, number five, June. Oh boy. <laughs> Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams. About a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. You want some muscle? I did? No. I've never been a Dune guy. That is until I saw Denis Villeneuve's vision come to life on the screen. This ambitious, visually breathtaking translation of Frank Herbert's material now has me officially hooked. Dune feels more like an experience than a film, and while part of that might be because it comes off as incomplete because of the way he chose to tell the story, I think it more had to do with Villeneuve's willingness to break with the spoon-fed formula of Hollywood blockbusters and just trust the material to engross the audience. So here's to hoping that part two gets here sooner than later. Number four, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. How did you find me? I always know where my children are. Me against the world, I got my back against the wall. Seems like a nice fella. It's time to show the world. No, I'm hellbound. But I'm well now. Who I really am. No one will ever stop. Shang-Chi is one of the best origin stories the MCU has ever produced, and it feels like the true start to Marvel's Phase 4. It introduces fans into a new fantastical mystical world that is filled with not only great performances, but some of the best fight choreography Marvel's ever put on film. Yet another heartbreaking story from Marvel about how grief can tear people apart, Shang-Chi gives us one of the MCU's greatest villains yet, in the form of Wen Wu, played by the great Tony Leung. Also, Simu Liu really owns his role as Shang-Chi and brings a certain charm to the character that really allows you to relate to him as we watch him try to fulfill his destiny. At the end of the day, this film not only had me excited for the future of the MCU, but also for what's next for Shang-Chi as a character. Number 3. Suicide Squad Alright. Let's get it. Suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. I'm a superhero! So James Gunn and the Suicide Squad is a match made in heaven. Filled with irreverent humor, ultraviolence, and most of all heart, Gunn works his magic once again and makes us care about a group of D-list characters we've never heard of. Besides Harley, of course. 
unpredictable with genuine laugh out loud moments, you find yourself cheering for the team like they're the freaking Justice League. Here's to hoping that this is the start of a long, healthy relationship between Gunn and DC, and this isn't the last time we get to see him play in the Suicide Squad sandbox. Number 2 The Green Knight Let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will be thee. The Green Knight is a fever dream of a film that will leave you days for a couple days after seeing it. It's a mesmerizing fantasy quest with a character played by Dave Patel who's anything but your typical hero. And that's what makes this journey so different because Sir Gawain is trying to find his true self whether he realizes it or not. Director David Lorry takes us on a visual adventure filled with witches, giants, and talking foxes. Yet something about the film still feels grounded, and I think that's due to Gowen feeling like a real person, unsure of himself and questioning every choice he makes. And even though I know it frustrated some, I love Lowry leaving the ending in the hands of the audience for open interpretation, allowing for you to take away what you want from the story. Because for me, that's what art is all about. Number one, Spider-Man No Way Home. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. So it's rare that a film as anticipated as Spider-Man No Way Home manages to live up to the hype. But damn it if that wasn't the case here. In fact, it might have actually exceeded it, filled with jaw-dropping moments that in your wildest dreams you never thought you'd see on film. And somehow they make it all work. But when it comes down to it, what makes Spider-Man No Way Home an amazing pun intended film is it's where Peter learns the true meaning of being a hero. The MCU finally gave their Peter the origin story he's been missing all these years. He learns to sacrifice for the greater good. So yes, yeah, seeing old friends show up that we haven't seen in years is awesome, but watching Peter learn his most important lesson as a hero is by far the film's greatest achievement. And that's why No Way Home takes the number one spot for my favorite film of 2021. Now for Christian's top five films of 2021. Number 5, The Green Knight. From stone. But this is not that king. Nor is this his son. Let me tell you instead a new tale. I lay it down as I've heard it told. Its letters set, its history pressed. Of an adventure brave and bold. For my number five, I went with The Green Knight, a film that used beautiful visuals to throw you deep into a dark fantasy tale. With a main character you can easily relate to and put yourself in their shoes, it was not hard to get completely enveloped by such an interesting take of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. I was impressed by the artistry of the cinematography as most of it has really stuck with me throughout this year, and I believe its story was expertly written in a way for the viewer to decide the true outcome of our knight's story. Absolutely a fantastic film. That 
that you should check out. Number 4. Demon Slayer Mugen Train. While yes, Demon Slayer Mugen Train doesn't fully work without having watched or consumed anything Demon Slayer related beforehand, I still believe this anime film is stunningly perfect. The train arc for Demon Slayer introduces new characters that are just as entertaining and endearing as the show's main trio, and with a perfect blend between 2D and 3D animation that will have you mesmerized by what they have been able to accomplish, this show has just been about everything I could ever want out of an anime and the film is a perfect continuation of that art and story that I ended up seeing twice and may watch a third time just because. If you're an anime fan like me, Mugen Train is a must watch. Number 3. James Bond, No Time to Die. Why would I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. Daniel Craig's Bond has felt like the most grounded version of the beloved super spy, even with you know the sometimes equally ridiculous villains we're used to still playing a part of these films. And with Craig's departure from the franchise came what felt like a culmination of all the best Bonds while also telling a much deeper story than we normally expect from an action thriller such as 007. No Time to Die truly completed this Bond's arc, taking you know elements of everything we had gotten up to that point and really capitalizing off the acting skills of Craig that gave us a good look into the mentality of a man who had been through as much as Bond had. This was seriously one of the best Bond experiences yet, and I definitely recommend watching all of Craig's Bonds, even if you weren't all that interested in the overall franchise of James Bond to begin with. Number 2. Spider-Man No Way Home Can't believe I'm in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Neither can I. So, how did you know you were made of magic? Because my, my Nana says that we have it in our family, and sometimes I get these tinglings in my hands. You should talk to your physician. No Way Home was a film we dreamed about as kids. Sony and Disney put together a story that captivates the imagination, using one of Marvel's biggest heroes ever. So it's no wonder the film shattered records at the box office, even in this pandemic era. People had been speculating and trying to figure out what was going to be in this film before writers even typed the first word, but somehow they still delivered even with the enormous amounts of hype surrounding this film. Holland again kills it as Peter and represents a fully realized Spider-Man, and while this is the end of a trilogy, it feels like only the beginning arc for this Avenger. Number 1. Suicide Squad. 3, 2, What are you guys doing? What? You, we're, we're here to save you. You were gonna save me? It was a really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronizing. I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn. Bloodsport. If someone asked me what my ideal movie is, it would probably sound something like James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Killer action sequences, amazing amounts of gore, incredibly entertaining and funny cast, unpredictable fates for all the characters as well. Plus it's well balanced, allowing every character and actor to strut their stuff. This movie had it 
all for me. I left the theater smiling the entire time. That's right, Christian the living Eeyore left the film smiling a wide tooth grin. That's just how much fun I had with this movie. And I really just can't wait for more James Gunn DC projects. Like I'm super excited for Peacemaker now at this point. Suicide Squad in general was more than my movie of the year as it was literally one of my biggest highlights all together for 2021. But that completes our top films of 2021. Now let's move on to wrestling. It has begun. I have begun to heal myself. You didn't cast me from your heaven. You kept me from my home. You dared to stand between the Redeemer and his hot flexible wife. And that is unacceptable. All right, Christian. So it was another crazy year for the Squared Circle. Uh, WWE was firing everyone. AEW was hiring everyone. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Live audiences returned. Uh, You know, I mean, everyone's feuding on Twitter. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, 2021 seems like probably the most chaotic year, like, in wrestling that we've had in a long time. I mean, WWE is still not done firing everyone. I mean... They literally just released a bunch of NXT talent this past week, including the likes of, you know, Samoa Joe and uh, William Regal. So um, it's just unfortunate that they're not in their most like profitable year of all time and that they have to, you know, let all these people go. Christian. Well, that's how you stay profitable. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> firing literally 100 people. But if they keep this up, I mean, WrestleMania's main event's going to end up being Roman Reigns versus Michael Cole. So, uh, I, oh, yeah, just... the orange singlet coming back. <laughs> oh, God, that was awful. <laughs> and that match was so long. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. But on the other side of the coin, I mean, it does worry me that, like, you know, part of the plan here by WWE is to fire all these people to bankrupt AEW because Tony Khan can't just stop hiring people. I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't have enough TV time for this roster he currently has. And this week, he was already teasing another big name coming to the show. So, I mean, I just feel like you're going to have more disgruntled wrestlers who are, you know, upset over TV time in the long run if you keep on hiring, you know, big names like this. Dark and Elevation are great and all, but but you need to either up the hours for Rampage or um, just stop hiring people. (laughs) Yeah, because at a certain point, it's it's almost greedy. It's like, what do you do? (laughs) Uh You can't possibly have this many wrestlers on the roster and, like, put together a coherent show. You know, I mean, they hired Jay Lethal. And we haven't seen him since, like, his his first match on Dynamite, right? That was, like, three weeks ago. So I forgot he was, like, part of AEW. (laughs) Although, with that being said, in all fairness, I mean, Tony Khan's, you know, giant fucking wallet has led to some of the best moments of the year. I mean, look at what we got with All Out, which has to be one of my all-time favorite pay-per-views at this point. Exactly. We saw the return of CM Punk of all all people. Yes, which (laughs) has to be one of the biggest moments of the year, you know, when everything's all said and done. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, we had Punk on that show. We had a surprise appearance by Suzuki. Uh, Uh (laughs) I mean, that's another big, you know, uh, deal with 2021 is the fact that we've got this new open door policy, uh, you know, with AEW. So now, I mean, anything's really possible. 
Uh, but anyway, but back to All Out, we had Ruby Soho show up, uh, and then Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. So, I mean, you don't get bigger than that. And, I mean, the show is also filled with awesome wrestling. So just, I mean, fantastic matches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. So, I mean, maybe I shouldn't bitch too much about, you know, Tony's loose purse string. But since we're talking about positives, I mean, one of my favorite moments of the wrestling year was the return of live, you know, audiences. Um, it just means so much for, you know, wrestling as a product to have a live crowd there. I mean, especially for shows like AEW. I mean, it just really just amplifies, you know, the feel of, you know, the product and, mm-hmm. you know, the matches in general. And that really goes for WWE also. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine having to go back to like, you know, more of those like Thunderdome shows at this point. So knock on wood, that won't be the case. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, and then poor, unfortunate, like New Japan, they're still dealing with those issues and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just more because they're being a lot safer than we are, um, which is probably a good thing. But yeah, no, I heard that Wrestle Kingdom and this year we have not watched a lot of New Japan, truth be told. But I mean, there wasn't a lot of New Japan to be watched. uh, But Wrestle Kingdom was like watching wrestling at a church. And now... The Japanese audience is, you know, usually on the quiet side of the spectrum compared to, you know, American audiences. But I mean, they're not supposed to react to anything, unfortunately. They're only allowed to like clap. Um, so it's just a whole different, you know, world <laughs> viewing wise. Uh, uh-huh. but yeah. And I mean, obviously, the roster has been really, you know, cut in half because of the travel situation with, um, you know, foreign wrestlers. So. It's definitely been a rough year for New Japan, unfortunately. Though the card did still look fucking packed, and I yeah, still need no, to watch it. So, hundred <laughs> percent, I agree. So, anytime you have like Okada and Osprey main eventing, you know, any card, uh-huh. let alone a Wrestle Kingdom, it's a must watch. All right. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead and get into our countdown for the best of twenty twenty one. Christian, what should we start off with? I think we're going to start off with some matches and then we'll talk to the performers afterwards, see who we, you know, who we think is the best of 2021. And we're combining women and male matches this year. We're not keeping them separate. Okay. Yes. And you're limiting me to five, right? <laughs> yes. I, I'm limiting you to five. I've been doing that the five, entire show. Whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to sneak in five honorable mentions. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Christian, what is your number five pick for top match of 2021? You know, it, it it was something that was very hard for me to pick because, you know, Punk hasn't been around very long and his feud with Eddie Kingston has been very short lived. But Punk versus Eddie was absolutely just just so fueled by like their promos and everything that they had done beforehand. And you really could believe just based off Eddie's performance alone, how important this match was between the two of them and how you know brutal it could get if they continue on their feud. So I'm, it was such a great starting point and I'm excited to see the future. Well, I mean, for Punk versus Kingston was definitely one of my honorable mentions because like you said, mm-hmm. I mean, the promos leading up to it was just pure magic. And I mean, it, they felt real. That's that's another yes. um, aspect of this whole little mini feud. Like it felt legitimate, and I mean, so did their match. Like it was a straight fucking fight. 
I mean, it was pretty brutal, but entertaining as all hell. So I, I totally understand why that's number five on your list. Uh, for me, my number five match is Bianca versus Sasha at WrestleMania. Um, mm. We don't get tons of legitimate WrestleMania moments nowadays, it feels like. Uh, but this was definitely one of them. I mean, it was a great match overall. But, I mean, just the emotion at the beginning of the match coming from Bianca and Sasha, you know, with them main eventing. Um, and then just the rise of Bianca uh, into, like, you know, superstardom was a memorable moment. Um, and probably, like, the most memorable moment from WWE this year. So Bianca and Sasha definitely make my countdown. No, absolutely. I mean, they almost got on there for me. It was an honorable mention for me. But I have to say, that was the best match at WrestleMania no, this year. 100% agree. My number four is Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa in an unsanctioned match on Dynamite. That thing was just fucking brutal, and I wasn't prepared. Honestly. No, I agree. 100%. The Lights Out match. And that's actually my number four pick, too. Mm -hmm. um, it oh, nice. elevated the women's division for AEW. Um, it was, I, I, like you said, I was not prepared for how fucking, you know, brutal and how hardcore it was going to get. I mean, both talent put, you know, their everything on the line and, you know, it ended up paying off tenfold for them. I mean, and think about it. That was a match during the pandemic era, um, where there wasn't yes. many people in the audience. It was just AEW talent. Imagine if that match was in front of a fucking, you know, packed house. It honestly probably would have you know, made this match higher on my list. It really goes to show you like how much a live audience matters. But I mean, this did nothing but legitimize AEW's women's division and, you know, legitimize Brit and Thunder Rosa as, you know, superstars, you know, and pillars, if you will, for the company. Exactly. And I hope that they really, you know, push them forward in this upcoming year. I hope that, you know, these two become you know, this massive feud again, uh, and we get another match similar to this. Not doesn't have to be an unsanctioned match, of course, but I, I hope to see their feud continue some point on, because they're just not showing enough women's matches yes, in general. We've yes, been saying we, that on the show. Like, absolutely. And, right, and hopefully that changes, you know, sooner than later. Um, I do believe hmm. there's a rumor of their match taking place at Beach Break, but I could be wrong right now, so don't quote hmm. me on that. Although it does seem like... Uh, Thunder Rose is going to be preoccupied with uh, Mercedes Martinez because she did, you know, uh, have a confrontation with her this past weekend, Dynamite. So we'll see if that's true or not. Yeah, and those matches are going to be crazy as yes, well. Yes, I'm really looking forward to those, honestly. <laughs> Mercedes is such a fucking talent. Well, uh, for my number three, I had Danielson versus Omega on Dynamite. Danielson taking Omega to that time limit draw. I mean, it really felt like there was a chance Danielson could have taken the title off him. And we got to see him in this new, like, revitalized state, it felt like, for Danielson. I mean, he just seems so liberated here in this company. And we're just seeing him put on these fantastic matches left and right. And, you know, there's no one better to go up against than Omega in AEW. Yes, I agree 100%. I mean, it was an absolute dream match, um, but it really shows you the quality of matches we had this year because that match mm -hmm. actually did not make my list somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally just double-checked it as I was talking to you. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be an honorable mention. 
but I, I do have a handful of matches that I liked better somehow. Speaking of which, what was your number three? Uh, my number three is also Brian Danielson, uh, but this is Brian Danielson versus Adam Page. This was the first time these two competitors touched in the ring and they went to a 60 minute draw. It was just a great match filled with just fantastic storytelling. I mean, Brian is just at the top of his game as a heel right now. Um, and I don't know, you just feel like the fan support for Adam Page uh, and just their like love for the guy out there. I just, you know, wanting to see him succeed. And this was a hell of a first like title defense for him. Um, but yeah, no, I was at first when this match was announced, I was kind of I don't know. I wasn't too thrilled about it just because not because I didn't think it was going to be a great match, but I just felt like mm. it was really predictable that, you know, Anna Page was going to win. But like about halfway through this match, I was kind of convinced otherwise. I was like, holy shit, they're going to have Adam like lose his first defense against, you know, uh, Brian. And that's all, you know, about storytelling here. And that's a real like, you know, credit to the talent that they were, you know, able to convince me otherwise uh you know and the i mean obviously that wasn't the case and they went to a, a time limit draw i mean we don't get many 60 minute matches in wrestling nowadays mm-hmm. um so i mean that let alone is a huge deal but the fact that they were able to like keep the energy up like through the entire match and like keep that intensity level up throughout the 60 minutes is just an impressive feat I mean, this whole match was high motor, uh, you know, and it says a lot about like the condition, you know, both wrestlers are in. And it just got me really excited for the potential of Adam Page, you know, as a champion in AEW, let alone that we get to see, you know, Brian Danielson week in and week out wrestling nowadays. <laughs> it just really added credence to, you know, everyone being excited about Brian Danielson, you know, being in AEW because it's him now unchained. Um, mm. And it at the same time got me excited for, you know, Paige's run as a champ and like all the potential that's there with him because he's still like a really young guy. <laughs> like he's he just turned 30. So, I mean, if he's putting out matches like this, like what's he going to be like in a couple of years? I mean, the sky's the limit. And I mean, to speak even more on the greatness of Paige, my number two is Paige versus Omega at full gear. Where, you know, we saw the manifestation of his own destiny, you know, claiming the throne and claiming the title from Omega. Uh, You know, seeing that storyline build from day one of the company to actually even getting to see one of the matches where they were tagging together. And, you know, seeing that, you know, those little moments of story just here and there, like over two years of this company, you know, finally bringing Paige to the title. I mean, what a way to pay off the entire event. I think the only thing that doesn't make this my number one match is just because I knew what the outcome was going to be but either way the storyline is fantastic so my number two match is the bucks versus the lucha brothers at all out uh where the lucha brothers won the belts from the bucks for the first time in a steel cage uh this match was just everything you want from tag team wrestling and more uh this felt like the accumulation of just this fantastic feud that's been taking place back and forth between the bucks and the lucha brothers over the past couple years um with the you know the lucha brothers finally prevent 
Bailey and winning those titles for the first time. Uh, you know, I was terrified about this match when it was first announced because I just was picturing, you know, all the insanity of what Ray Phoenix could do in a steel cage. Mm-hmm. And he didn't let me down. I mean, it was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I'm just happy that he made it out alive. Uh, I love all the emotion at the end of the match of watching the Lucha Brothers like win those titles and how much it meant to them um, because you could feel that it was genuine, like it was legit. So, and I mean, the Bucks had a great, you know, run with those titles and, you know, turning heel and everything like that. And really like finally, you know, showing up and, you know, being the true Bucks on AEW TV. Cause I felt for like that first year or so, they were kind of like treading water. So they really like came into their own with this title run, I felt like. So, um, but yeah, I mean, here's some more like matches between, you know, the, the two teams, uh, because this is definitely one of the best tag team matches i've ever seen so i mean just i mean the tacks on the shoes I mean, there's so many yes. insane <laughs> spots throughout the entire match and i'm usually more of a traditionalist when it comes to like tag team wrestling you know because this was definitely like tornado style just you know, anything goes but my god you could help but be fully entrenched in this match and all of its like beautiful chaos exactly and that's why it's my number one match i mean this this thing made me feel like a kid again watching wrestling for the very first time i was that glued to my seat watching every single you know bit of action in this steel cage between these two fantastic teams you know i i couldn't believe how like emotional i was getting over fucking tag team wrestling (laughs) you know it's like i grew up in an era where tag teams were you know shit on wwe because they were just treated like shit pretty much you know they weren't being booked half the time so just getting this new appreciation for tag team wrestling through AEW and everything that they've you know been able to accomplish with teams you know i i appreciated this match even more i forgot what a shitty era of wrestling you grew up watching yeah (laughs) (laughs) poor christian (laughs) i know because mcmahon definitely hates tag team wrestling so yeah it's insane all right so my number one match of the year of 2021 well, is a match that you literally just talked about a couple picks ago. Uh, Page versus Omega at Full Gear. Just the amazing climax to a fantastic program that's been really taking place over the course of a couple years. I mean, the long form storytelling that you know Tony Khan booked here and was able to pull off is really something to be in awe of. I mean, it's something that we don't see in modern wrestling anymore. Uh, but, you know, AEW has been, you know, bringing that back, fortunately, um, for us as a wrestling fan. So, and I, honestly, I still feel like this is probably just the first chapter of their story. I feel like yes. there's still meat on the bone that will probably be explored in the next couple of years. And the fact that I could be excited for that and, like, have faith that it's going to be, like, done the right way says all that needs to be said, really. Um, you know, Kenny Omega is still at the top of his game, uh, even though I do feel like, you know, for the first year in AEW, he did kind of get like lost in the shuffle, strangely enough. I don't know if it was a confidence issue. I don't know if it was just a booking issue. But like, once again, we witnessed why he's one of the best in the world here. And we also got to witness why Adam Page is a rising star. And, you know, I'm sure one day we'll be calling him the best in the world. 
So, I mean, the just the future's bright for AEW, and, you know, the fact that we get matches like this, you know, week in and week out, tells you all you need to know about why the company's succeeding right now. Just please don't fuck uh, it up, Tony. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stop tweeting. <laughs> I mean, I definitely feel like we're going to be talking about Paige and Omega the way that people talk about, like, Omega versus Okada, you know, in the future. Like, I feel like... You'll see multiple chapters that just make these two the staple of wrestling in general. What's another great aspect of their feud is the potential to see them like reunite and all the great storytelling opportunities that can arise from that. Well, all right, Damon, we should switch on over to our top wrestlers of this year, starting off with the women's division. And this is top five, Christian. Yes, it is top five, Damon. <laughs> top five. Whatever. So my number five pick is, you know... Probably a little controversial since she only wrestled half of the year. But uh, my number five pick is Bailey. Uh, you know, I think part of the reason why she made it on my list, even though, you know, she was kind of lost in the shuffle, uh, you know, even towards, you know, the end of her year, uh, is really just the giant hole she left in the women's division uh, when she got injured. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the year before, she was really the MVP of not only, you know, the women's division, but of SmackDown. And this year when they lost her, um, it was really hard for them to recover. So, I mean, Bailey, just everything she's done with her character and her heel persona, I mean, needs to be applauded. And, you know, I can't wait for to see her, you know, make her return to the ring, hopefully sooner than later. No, Bailey is absolutely a great choice. For my number five, I actually went with, you know, some, someone I think who has a lot of a potential, who's just been building up throughout this year, and that's Chris Statlander. At the beginning of this year, I definitely had some high hopes for her, you know, in the company. I thought, you know, she had shown quite some potential in the year prior. But this year, for sure, she has definitely shown that she might be, you know, the next women's champion in the upcoming year. You know, she has an opportunity to eventually go up against the likes of, you know, Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker and have fantastic matches. And I think, you know, we'll see more of that as this upcoming year comes by, as long as, you know, they allow for screen time, of course. Yeah, I mean, and if you think about it, Statlander already had like one of Britt's best matches yes. of 2021. So and her championship run. So I, I definitely feel like there's a potential for, you know, a long term feud uh, in the future between the two. So my number four pick is Sasha Banks. Um, by far, I think she's probably my most consistent wrestler on the list. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, regardless of what the circumstances is and like how shitty the fucking angle she's been put in. I mean, regardless of like how shitty the booking is and what ridiculous circumstance she's been like put in the middle of like she's always going to give you a hundred percent and probably one of the best matches on the card um you know yeah she might be one of the worst baby faces in the history of baby faces <laughs> because she's literally just you know still sasha banks uh, -huh. uh fighting against a heel but i mean I, she's must watch tv um, and really, like, I can't imagine what WWE's women division, you know, just like Bailey, would look like without her. But honestly, I feel like she's one of the few wrestlers that I would really love to see just leave WWE and do great things in other companies. 
You know, I feel like she would be such a megastar, which she already is in WWE, but she would basically elevate every single other company out there and be used probably a lot better to the benefit of other companies. It's just WWE doesn't want to do anything proper or whatever with her right now. For my number four, I went with someone who's also, you know, felt like they've been kind of unlocked here in AEW, and that would be Ruby Soho. You know, all her performances in this company so far have been unbelievable as we bring it up all the time her facials in the ring the way that she's able to sell other wrestlers and put other people over while also looking good herself in the ring is it's great it just pushes everyone further and it's going to be a big part of their women's division here in 2022 no i think it kind of flies underneath the radar like what a huge acquisition ruby really was for AEW mm-hmm. because like you said she really does you know bring that women's division up a level just by you know being part of it they have a lot of younger talent that you know could really use her experience and guidance in the ring you know and i mean and she's just a fantastic wrestler on her own that really hasn't like been given the proper opportunity to shine so my number three pick is another wrestler who really elevates the women's division and that's thunder rosa uh you want to talk about it factor i mean instantly coming out you know for the first time in front of an AEW crowd, like she just connected, um, you know, the crowd, you know, wanted to root for her and wanted to see her prevail, uh, you know, even in a feud with Britt Baker, who's nothing but over, you know, she's got that crowd torn in half, you know, cheering for her. She's an experienced seasoned veteran uh, who, who not only draws eyes, you know, to your product, but also can be the face of the company. For my number three, I had Bianca Belair. And honestly, if you had asked me at the beginning of the year, I would have thought Bianca Belair would be my number one. She had the title taken from her by Becky Lynch, and it just went downhill from there. But everything before that just was unbelievable. Like, she just felt like she was going to be the top star of WWE's women's division going forward. I thought her and definitely Rhea Ripley were going to be, you know, the two big pillars going forward for the women's division in the WWE, and it just didn't really get to go there. But what we did see from her was absolutely unbelievable, and I've enjoyed her entire career up to this point. So I'm hoping... I'm hopeful for a better future down the road anyway for her. No, absolutely. I would love to see her get back on track. Um, She's also my number two pick. Um, Just her meteoric rise, you know, this year. Uh, Watching her, you know, elevate to, you know, superstardom uh, and main event WrestleMania and win the title just gave me hope for WWE as a whole. I mean, I agree 100%. Uh, that she's completely lost momentum due to just, you know, horrible booking on, you know, Vince's part uh, by trying to force, you know, a heel Becky Lynch down everyone's throats. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I still feel like she has tons of potential to get back where she was, you know, after that, you know, WrestleMania title. And funny enough, for my number two, I had Thunder Rosa, which you said it best, you know, in the face of like, AEW's most over superstar, she was able to get the, you know, admiration of the crowd behind her. And, you know, just being able to show off her skills and abilities from, I mean, what was it? Back when she was still part of NWA, we were begging for them to sign her. And now that she's part of the company, she is 
absolutely elevating it to a complete new level here in the women's uh, wrestling world, I should say. So I'm, I'm happy to see Thunder Rosa's here, and I am super excited to see what matches she's going to bring to the table. Like opponents like Mercedes Martinez that's just joined back up with AEW. Like there's going to be so many great matches that we haven't seen just yet, and this is only the beginning for a lot of these women here. Well, that brings us to my number one pick, and that's none other than the good doctor herself, Britt Baker. Um, I don't think there's a wrestler who has gotten over to the level that Britt has this year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she's a true superstar. Uh, She's, you know, not only doing it on the mic, but she's doing it in the ring, and she's doing it as a heel still. And I was super skeptical of her, you know, staying heel, you know, through, like, this rise to stardom. But, I mean, she's pulling it off somehow. So I have to give credit where credit's due. Uh, She's must-see TV, and she's going to be the glue for the AEW's women's division for years to come. No, exactly. Britt Baker is also my number one. You know, she's obviously the face of the women's division, but most of the time she feels like she's the face of AEW altogether. You know, that's just how big she is in this company. If I was putting the men and women together, I might make her either number one or number two, just based on how fast her rise here in the company has been just from, you know, that match with Baker versus Thunder Rosa up to this point. It's just been nonstop. You know, she's been the face of AEW. Yes, and with the recent influx of talent into the women's division for AEW, it's going to be really exciting to see, like, what 2022 brings her. And while that finishes off for the women... Let's get into the men's division. And I'm going to start off this one by saying Sting is my number five wrestler in the men's division. Good God, can he still go? He's jumping off the fucking top rope, Damon, (laughs) at his age. (laughs) I know. And, you know, honestly, like my body aches every time I watch him wrestle because I'm in my 40s. (laughs) And it hurts sometimes to get up from the couch. So Uh I can't imagine what he feels like in the morning. I have no uh, but no, idea. He's been nothing short than, you know, amazing uh, this year in AEW. I remember when they first, you know, brought him in, it was just like, oh, what? He's just going to be a glorified manager and maybe he gets like one match this year. But no, dude wants to fucking wrestle. I mean, <laughs> and you know what? He's earned it, man. Like he's out there and he's hanging with these young guys and really like, you know, being an inspiration for a whole new generation of, you know, talent out there. No, he's absolutely changing the way people saw him at the end of that WWE run. You know, oh, he's God. Yes. It's, it's a whole new sting out of nowhere. <laughs> All right. Well, my number five pick is John Moxley. I mean, he really carried AEW through the first half of this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's one of the best promos on the mic uh, and he's put on nothing but quality matches, you know, throughout 2021. I mean, I think the best is yet to come from Moxley. I mean, hopefully he's 100% healthy uh, when he comes back and we wish him all the best. But I mean, yeah, just like watching him morph into like this different version of the character this year, like this, just, I mean, for the lack of a better word, this like brute (laughs) who was just coming out and punishing wrestlers for just being in the ring with him was fascinating (laughs) and just, I mean, super entertaining. And I can't wait to get more of that. He just wanted to get home to his kids, Damon. (laughs) Yes. Best promos in the business, honestly, this year. My number four pick is Hangman Adam Page. And I say it was hard not putting him higher on this list because I absolutely love 
what we got out of Paige, not only this year, but all the years we've had him in AEW. And it's just awesome, like I said earlier, to see that story get completed. Now that he is champion, there's so much potential for him in this company to go up against all these crazy challenges. Like, I'm still waiting for that proper match with Miro. Like, that's what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of potential there. Uh, and Adam Page is my number four pick also. I think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg with Paige. Yes. Uh, I think he's improving, like, literally every match he wrestles. Uh, and, you know, he's put on, like, multiple five-star matches this year alone. I just can't wait to see what this championship run, like, really brings out of him. Because I definitely feel like he's one of those wrestlers who could be mentioned in the same, you know, breath as, you know, some of the best who've ever laced up their boots. Well, for my number three, I had Eddie Kingston, who just makes every fight feel real. It's just every single time he comes out, every storyline, every bit of wrestling he does just feels like he's a guy out there really trying to scrap with these folks. There's no weird pomp and circumstance to him. You know, there's it just feels like I'm a dude off the streets and I'm here to beat your ass. You know, it's that type of character. And it's so at the same time, he's so lovable. You know, you can really get into all his promos. You can really get behind him as a character. And I think that's why the fans, you know, have attached themselves to him in a way where they're able to boo, you know, these massive legends like CM Punk that show up in the company. You know, he is their, you know, their face. He is in their way a hero, you know, in whatever, you know, light you want to look at it. Even if he's playing heel or face, he is the guy they want to root for. No, he's the ultimate underdog. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And that's been from day one, you know, when he showed up in AAW. I mean, that promo that he cut about, you know, having to possibly sell his wrestling boots just to put food on the table. I mean, there's nothing that resonated more in a promo said by a wrestler, you know, that past year. So, so I'm not surprised to see him, you know get over with the audience the way that he has. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if gold is eventually in his future, but he's not on my list. <laughs> he's an honorable mention though. So, uh, so I'm glad that he made it to your list, mm -hmm. <laughs> but my number three pick is none other than the head of the table himself. Roman reigns. Uh, Roman has been carrying SmackDown uh, for the last year and a half. Uh, this new character of his is probably one of the best characters WWE has put on the screen in years. Uh, and the fact that it has come after years and years of fans just rejecting him um, says all that needs to be said about the kind of talent that Roman is. Uh, the fact that, you know, he was able to switch gears and, you know, portray this character that literally like has people tuning in every week is just nothing less than astounding. Because if you think about it, like he was adamantly hated <laughs> by fans yes. for such a long time because of just Vince's stubbornness, you know, to change course. But whoever convinced Vince to allow Roman to become this version of himself deserves tons of credit. And maybe it was Vince himself. I don't know. Um, but I mean, he's literally one of the only things I tune in to WWE TV nowadays for. Now, if only they could spread the story love around. But I do agree. Roman Reigns is one of the most fantastic things they got going in WWE today. But with my number two, I have Brian Danielson, who was formerly one of the greatest things WWE had going for them. Now over on AEW, 
shaking things up a bit. I gotta say, I wasn't always like I, I feel like it's been a long time since Danielson's even cracked my top five. Like when he was back in WWE and everything. Just being able to see the American Dragon fully uncuffed here in AEW is one thing that I think I will never forget. Just all these matches he's having. Like nonstop. He's been wrestling since he got here. Like he it's just every single show he can do. You know, AEW Dark, Elevation. He is on everything, wrestling everyone he can. And he seems like he's truly enjoying himself. And you can really see that in all of his matches, that he's having the best time ever. You know, he's stomping with a smile, and I'm loving every fucking moment of it. So my number two male wrestler of the year is Kenny Omega. I don't think there's a wrestler out there who has as much of a, like, juxtaposition as Kenny does when it goes from his, like, promos to his in-ring work. <laughs> I mean, he's been absolutely absurd as a character this year, but at the same time, he's the only person who could possibly, like, pull that kind of character off uh, because he's such a fantastic wrestler. Um, and I think this year really just reminded everyone like why he's one of the best in the world uh, and he has been for years i mean i loved the whole the belt collector storyline they had going on with him unfortunately i feel like it probably got stopped a little short because of you know all the nagging injuries he was kind of dealing with and of course the pandemic but if the forbidden door is truly open I mean, there's a chance that he can get back on track with that whole, you know, character uh, once he does return from injury. I mean, when coming up with my top matches for 2021, uh, you know, I started off with like almost like 20 matches and he was almost in half of them. So that's, I mean, all that needs to be said. Like every time he steps in the ring, the match has the possibility of being an instant classic. And that's why he's going to go down as not only the best of, you know, 2021, but one of the best wrestlers of all time. I mean, they don't call him the best bout machine for no reason, Damon. That's why he's my number one wrestler of this year. You made some good points there about like how he's able to have an instant classic at pretty much any single time. I mean, I'm just looking back at his matches against even some of the younger talent here in AEW where he went up against the likes of like Dante Martin and stuff like that. And just like his ability to not only, you know, show that he is the best there is in this company, but also elevate the people that he's going up against and really start to build, you know, AEW even further by making these younger wrestlers bigger stars in the process is just awesome. His ability in the ring is just nonstop. And that's why he continues to be at the top of my list every single year because he's putting on these fantastic matches. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the storylines have been a little goofy. His promos have been pretty out of, out of this world this year, in, in fact. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> the outfits alone. <laughs> yes, uh, the Toon Squad coming down was amazing this uh, year. I, I love that. But, I, I mean, the fact that he was wrestling injured as well and able to, yes. like, you know, have vertigo and stuff and put over Adam Page like that. I mean, dude deserves all the praise in the world. And that's why he is still my number one, even after you know, several years of him being up at that top spot. Yeah, is that like three years in a row for you? I think it's three years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> like since the history of the show? Uh -huh. <laughs> well, my number one pick wasn't Kenny Omega this year. It was none other than Brian Danielson, yeah. who's another wrestler just like Kenny Omega when I was making my, you know, 
list for top matches of 2021 ended up being on literally half of the list. Um, so, I mean, literally everyone who got in the ring with him this year mm-hmm. became better because of that, you know, especially yes. on the AEW side of things where we got to see the best version of Brian Danielson we've seen in years. Um, you know, and the fact that just like months before that, he was main eventing WrestleMania. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone has had quite the year that Brian Danielson has had. He's just firing on all cylinders right now. You can you can see that he's just living his best life. And I'm sure like Khan has to like talk him out of being on every single fucking episode of Dynamite and uh-huh. you know Rampage. Because <laughs> I'm sure if he could, he would. Uh, but yeah, no. And I just love the fact that he went from being like one of the biggest baby faces in AEW to turning into like their top heel and being this fucking like monster of a character for someone like, especially that's kind of like small in stature. Like he's not a big guy at all, but he somehow has a presence of like a Miro in the ring where you're actually in fear for the other opponent. Yes. You know, <laughs> I mean, look how he just tore through the dark order. And even during the Suzuki match uh, this year, which, I mean, definitely is an honorable mention on my, like, top match list, uh, like, it felt like Suzuki actually, like, met his match, which I don't think I've ever seen. But with this new, like, aura that Danielson brings to the ring and this new brutal style where you feel like he could, like, win a match in, you know, numerous different ways and he has been you totally believe this guy who was you know years you know beforehand hugging it out with kane is like this (laughs) monster (laughs) of a character now so that's why brian danielson has to be my top wrestler of the year all right that's gonna do it for this week if you disagree with our list or have wrestlers of your own that you believe are the number one spots let us know on social media of course that's right and as a friendly reminder if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform remember to subscribe rate and give us a five-star review exactly it sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow and while you're at it make sure to tell a friend plus if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, so that's going to do it for this week. Uh, Make sure to join us next Next week, as we break down episode three of Obi-Wan, uh, we'll also have reviews for season four, part one of Stranger Things and AEW's Double or Nothing. Uh, my name's Damon, and that was The Amazing Nerd Show. I'll be back.